I'd like for all the children to come up here at this front bench. I'd like to have a little children's meeting this morning. Okay, it's good to see you all here this morning. I've got a question for you. Have you ever pouted? Do you know what pouting is? Why do you pout? Because what? Because you're mad, okay? What else? Sometimes we get mad and we pout. Why do you get mad? Okay, you can't do like you want. I want to tell you a little couple stories this morning about people in the Bible that pouted. And this was big people. Do your parents ever pout? No. You don't think so? I hope not. Okay. There was a man in the Bible, and Richard Hur talked about this this week, that pouted. Well, he talked about this man. He didn't talk about him pouting, but he, his name was Jonah. And he didn't want to do what God asked him to do. And finally, he went and did it. He went and preached to Nineveh, the people of Nineveh. And it says that, it don't say it in these words, but it says Jonah pouted. The people of, of Nineveh repented. And Jonah did what he was asked to do finally. But I think Jonah was waiting for God to destroy these people. But in Jonah 4.1, it says he was very angry. Okay, he was very angry. And then in verse 3, it says that Jonah said it would have been better for him if he would die than if he would live. He was so upset. And then he went and pouted. It says he went under in a booth there, he made booth, and he pouted. Did that help the situation? Well, then why pout? Okay, we think so. We think it helps sometimes, don't we? But it don't help. Another man pouted. His name was Ahab. Does anybody know why Ahab pouted? Okay, he couldn't get the vineyard. He couldn't get what he wanted. Sometimes children pout because somebody else has something they want, right? And so we pout. Ahab couldn't get what he wanted. In 1 Kings 21.4, it says he went to his bed and turned away his face and wouldn't eat. Were you ever so upset that you ran to your room and turned your face in your bed and wouldn't eat? You pouted? Okay. This is what Ahab did. This was a grown man. He pouted. Because he couldn't get what he wanted. 
Did this help anything? No. This didn't help at all. And so the next time we are tempted to pout, instead of pouting, maybe we ought to pray. Do you think that would help? Would that change anything? I think I would. Okay. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, that is on God, for he cares for you. God still cares about us. So let's pray the next time we are tempted to pout. Okay, you can go back to your parents. Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It is good to be with you to worship again. As I was thinking of a message for this morning, I was thinking about a number of things this week. I was thinking about the Sunday school lesson. I was thinking about our conference. thinking about our, our words. I was also thinking about a series of messages I had at McGackiesville. And I want to share one of those messages with you. I preached on the Ten Commandments recently. And I want to look at the last two commandments. The ninth commandment says, Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. A false witness. What is a false witness? Has anybody ever bore false witness against you. I want to read from Adam Clark what he says. talking about bearing false witness. Not only false oaths to deprive man of his life or of his right are here prohibited, but all whispering, tail-bearing, slander, and calumny. In a word, whatever is deposed as truth, which is false, in fact, and tends to injure another in his goods, person, or character, is against the spirit and letter of the law. Suppressing the truth when known by which a person may be defrauded of his property or his goods, his good name, or lie under injuries or disabilities which a discovery of the truth would have prevented is also a crime against this law. And by the term neighbor, any human being is intended whether he rank among our enemies or friends. Now, as we think of bearing false witness, there's much in our world today that people bear false witness against somebody else to destroy their, their reputation. 
I thought it was interesting as we were thinking about this, the false witness. I had something personally happen to me, and some of you know about this. And it was, it was uh, all intended and fun, and I took it that way. And I was not, I was not uh, offended. In fact, I thought it was quite, uh, quite a joke. But anyway, this is what happened. One of our school teachers had a birthday on April 1st, April Fool's Day. And some people like to play jokes on April Fool's. Some people think that's not appropriate. Um, some people think it's a day to play pranks. How many of you know about this? Raise your hand. Okay, I know the school teachers do. But anyway, and so I decided to treat the staff kind of in celebration of this teacher's birthday with some Krispy Kreme donuts. So I went and got two dozen Krispy Kreme donuts and a vanilla caramel latte for the teacher. And I brought it to school before school. The teacher whose birthday it was was not there yet. Another teacher had just came and I saw her carry in two boxes from Krispy Kreme. And I thought, well, this is quite interesting. This teacher also had quite a number of cups from Krispy Kreme. Okay? She was playing a prank on the school teachers. Well, I got there. And this other teacher wasn't there yet, and so I gave it to this teacher that brought the other boxes of Krispy Kreme and said, would you give this to this teacher? She said, yes, I will. I said, okay. And I said, these donuts are for the teachers in the teacher's lounge. One be known to me, she took my donuts and put them in the cupboard. She took her boxes from Krispy Kreme and put them in the teacher's lounge. Now she did take one donut out of the box that I took and the, and the coffee and give it to the teacher. So that part was, she did that. But then she took these, her boxes, in her boxes was veggies. And she took cups and put hot water in, from what I understand, for these teachers. And when I heard this, at first I thought, you know, as I was thinking of these Ten Commandments, I thought, you know, she was using my name in vain. Okay? Well, maybe I go on to say, what she said was that Eugene King brought two dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts. So do you get the picture? Well, she wasn't using my name in vain. It was more, if you line it up with the Ten Commandments, it was more to the thing of bearing false witness. I did not bring the veggies. I brought the donuts. And she left these boxes in the cupboard till the end of school. So all day long, she was bearing false witness. Now we look at that and think that's kind of humorous. 
And it is. But the thought is, how often do we bear false witness? I want to look at a number of verses about a false witness. Go to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23, a couple of verses here. Verses 1 and 2 says, Thou shalt not raise a false report, put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou speak in a cause to decline after many to rest judgment. Now go down to verse 7. Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not, for I will not justify the wicked. Now as we look at these verses, I realize these are, a, a number of these verses are primarily, we're looking primarily at the Old Testament, but I want us to go, I want to go to the New Testament then and see how these bear out under the New Covenant. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19, starting at verse 15. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity for it, or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth at the mouth of two witnesses or at the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days. And the judges shall make diligent inquisition, and behold, if the witness be a false witness, and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shalt thou do unto him, as he hath thought to have done unto his brother, so shalt thou put away the evil from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear, and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil among you. Here they were given direction that they were not to, where they needed more than one witness if something happened. And it's interesting, if you look in our in our statement of faith, we have the same thing. Now go to Zechariah 8. We have here that God hates a false witness. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. And let none of you imagine evil in your hearts against his neighbor. And love no false oath. For all these are things that I hate, saith the Lord. Now I find it interesting here in these verses that... There in the beginning of verse 17, it says, Let none of you imagine evil in your hearts. 
Well, we know that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometime we, sometimes we imagine things that aren't necessarily true. And so let's tell the truth about our neighbor, not false witness. Go to John eight forty four. We heard about truth this week in our conference. We have here when Jesus was before the scribes and Pharisees. And they were accusing him of not of being born of fornication. They held on to the fact that they were Abraham's children. Notice what Jesus said to them in verse 44. You of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. They were not abiding in truth. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and I find it interesting here, he's, he is uh, quoting here from Zechariah. Ephesians 4.25 says, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth, with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now here we have Paul writing to the Ephesians. said, we are members one of another. Let's speak the truth. And then of course, the book of James, thought it was interesting, our Sunday school lesson was on our words, how we speak. James 5 verse 12 says, but above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea, and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Do people believe you when you speak? Or do you say, well, so-and-so said so-and-so, so you have to take that with a grain of salt. You don't know whether to believe them or not. Are our words true? Do we speak the truth? Jesus had false witnesses. And Jesus didn't defend himself. Go to Matthew 26. We have Jesus on trial before Pilate. Matthew 26, verse 
59, or starting in verse 59. It says, Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Yea, though many false witnesses came, yet found they none. At the last came two false witnesses, and said, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is that? What is it which these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. Jesus didn't have to defend himself because he was speaking the truth. You know, there's probably some times that we tried to defend ourselves. Well, I didn't say that. Did you ever say that? Well, I never said that. It's a little saying, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember what you said. How do you feel when you are, someone bears false witness against you? Don't feel very good. Do we perceive something someone did or said and don't know for sure if it's true? Let's make sure our words are true. A couple more verses yet. Ephesians 4. Thirty-one and thirty-two. While you're turning to those, reminds me of the, the church sign in Kieseltown right now says, "Tweet others as you would like to be tweeted." Kind of a play on words, but very true. Tweet others like you would like to be tweeted. What are we tweeting? Ephesians four thirty-one and thirty-two says, "Let all bitterness." And wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And then Matthew 7, verse 12. Therefore all things... Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This was Jesus' words. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Let's not bear false witness. Let's make sure what we say is true. Now I want to move to the Tenth Commandment. How many of you have ever coveted? Do you know what covetous covet does it? Do you know what it means to covet? You know, as I studied this. You know, sometimes we say, well, this certain person is coveted. Is it something 
I wonder sometimes if it's like some other things, it's easier to see in somebody else than in ourselves. Thou shalt not covet. He lists a number of things that we are not to covet. And I wondered why some of these things he lists because, you know, we can look at this. Turn to Exodus chapter 20, or chapter 19. Exodus 20. Verse 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. He lists a number of things in this verse, then at the end he says, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So he covers all the bases. I wonder if the things listed here are more of a temptation to covet than anything else. I don't know. If we would put it in modern terms, we would probably say, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his hired man, or his hired girl, or his tractor, or his car. Now I saw a car, see a car out here in the parking lot that I almost became covetous of this morning. Probably saw one the other evening. They had a cruise in in Kieseltown. And, uh, Followed one out the road, and I almost became covetous, okay? It was about a 70 or 72 Chevy Nova. Yeah, Chevy Nova. When does a person become covetous? When do you cross the line and become covetous? I don't know. I'm not sure. Covet means to delight in, to desire, and to lust. Merriam Webster says to wish for earnestly, to desire inordinately. Something that belongs to another. Now I'm going to ask you if you're covetous. I'm going to ask it in a different way. And I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I, I want us to think. When does it become covetousness? I want about three people to tell me this morning what you would really like to have that would, maybe it would be very convenient. I'll put it that way. We use the word convenient. 
I asked this question, maybe to get you thinking. I want three people to answer. If, if I don't get three people, I'm going to call on you. But there was, I asked this in McGackiesville. One person thought it'd be nice to have a new kitchen. One person thought it would be nice to have a paved driveway. Um, one person thought it'd be nice to have a cemented basement. And so what do you want? Jeff, what do you want? Okay, a garage. Be very helpful. Nothing wrong with the garage. I like my garage. Do you need it? Okay. 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 I think you hit the nail on the head. When we cross the line, it's what we do to get. I want to look at some examples of covetousness. And before we do that, I, there's a verse that says that we are to covet. And I thought it was interesting in the context that that was given. It was concerning spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. It says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. And then he gives 1 Corinthians 13. Go to Joshua chapter 7. We have another Old Testament account in relation to coveting. This was the account of Achan. Children of Israel had lost the battle. Achan was the problem because he coveted. But I want us to notice what he says here. In verses 20 and 21, this was when Joshua came to Achan. And Joshua said, give God the glory. That's the first thing he asked here. Give, I pray thee, glory to the Lord of Israel and make confession. And this is what Achan said. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. Another word that is used there is desired. I desired them and took them 
And behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. It started in the mind. Now we need I guess we need a garage. We need sewing machines. We need tractors. We need cars. These are legitimate things. Here, Aiken saw these things. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes we don't know we know we need something until we see something. Do you know what I mean? I was at an auction yesterday. And I thought I needed a number of things. We don't know we need them until we see them, right? And that's why things are arranged in a store the way they're arranged. If you need the cheese and the milk and the bread, they're probably in the back of the store. That's all a part of merchandising. Keep you in the store. Did you ever make the comment, well, I need to get out of here before I buy anything else? I've said that already. Aiken coveted, and it cost him his life. It cost him his family's life. Go to 1 Kings 21. We have another account. We have the account of Ahab. As I said before, Ahab pouted because he couldn't get what he wanted. He couldn't get the inheritance that Naboth got. He didn't want to sell it. He said it's not for sale. Ahab's request was in 1 Kings 21, 1 and 2. It says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard, that I may have it for a garden of herbs, because it is near unto my house, and I will give thee for it a better vineyard than it. Or if it seem good to thee, I will give thee the worth of it in money. So, today's world. This farm is right next to mine. I would like to have it. Is it for sale? No, it's not for sale. Well, I want it. I'll give you another farm down the road, more acres or whatever. And if you don't want that, I'll give you money. They have couldn't get it. And so he went to his room and pouted. And his wife comes to the rescue and says, well, don't worry about it. I'll get it for you. And that's what she did. Let's go on reading. Naboth said unto Ahab, the Lord forbidden me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. And Ahab came in unto his house heavy 
and displeased because of the word that Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said unto him, Why is thy spirit so sad and that thou eatest no bread? And he said unto her, Behold, because I spake to Naboth the Jezreelite and said unto him, Give me thy vineyard for money, or else if it please thee, I will give thee another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give thee my vineyard. And Jezebel his wife said unto him, Dost thou not govern the kingdom of Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let thine heart be merry. I will give thee the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with the seal and sent the letters unto the elders of the nobles that were in his city dwelling with Naboth. And she wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth on high among the people, and set two men, sons of Belial, before him, to bear witness against him, saying, Thou didst blaspheme God and the king, and then carry him out and stone him, that he may die. And so we have the account here, and this is exactly what he did. He carried this out. He got what he wanted. And yet he paid dear for it. Go to Second Kings nine twenty six. Ahab became so consumed in his covetousness that it affected his whole life. And we have the judgment of him in 2 Kings 9, 26. He says, Surely I have seen yesterday the blood of Naboth and the blood of his son, saith the Lord, and I will requite thee in this plot, saith the Lord. Now therefore take and cast him into the plot of ground, according to the word of the Lord. And so we have Ahab's death mentioned here. So how, we, how do we get away or stay away from covetousness? You know, we live in a material world. How many of whatever you own do you need? Because that can be anything for anybody. How many guns? Somebody asked me, well, how many guns do you need? Well, probably one more, right? How many tractors do you need? One more. I want to look at a number of verses, the antidote to covetousness. 1 Timothy 6. Verses 6 through 11. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be content, that they may 
But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a stare into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money, the love of money. We need money. The love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience. Meekness. Are you content? Someone has said, if you look at what you have in life, you'll always have more. If you look at what you don't have in life, you'll never have enough. Where's our focus? Do we focus on the things that we don't have or the things that we do have? Hebrews 13 Verses 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Ooh, that hits home, don't it? I'd really like to have this. Another word for conversation is conduct. Let your conversation or your conduct be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have, for yet said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. Starting at verse 5, or verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Would you admit to being an, an idolater? Would you admit to being covetous? Think about that.
I want to read a couple things here. One of the weaknesses of our age is our apparent inability to, to distinguish our needs from our greeds. Where do we draw the line? Our needs from our greeds. I have a poem here. It says, the heart that loves the little things is full of deep content. The life that serves in little things is often nobly spent. So do not be despising the day of little things, for bees, as well as angels, can boast a pair of wings. In closing, we'll read from Matthew 22, verse 39. As we think of the commandments, you know, I came to Jesus and said, which is the greatest? Of all the commandments, which is the greatest? And I think if we get the first two commandments that are listed in Exodus, the rest of them will take the will not be a problem. Because he says this. Let me start back with verse 36. Came to Jesus and said, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. I trust this will help us to keep in mind what God would desire of us. And that we can grow more like him in our everyday life.